0: The show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have the incredible Shanif Danani here. And in case you're wondering who this Shanif guy is, he is from New York and he's an AI AI and ChatGPT consultant with a background in software development and data science. He helps businesses understand and build systems that connect their internal and proprietary systems to ChatGPT, enabling internal employees, customers, and other stakeholders to reap the benefits of using large language models on their data. He's worked at companies like Twitter, Booz Allen, and Tap Commerce. And he now has a CEO and founder of his own company called Locusive. Did I say that right? Locusive. You got it. L- Locusive. And so welcome to the show, show, Shanif. Tell us, what's the biggest and best business deal you're most proud of?
1: Oh, man. Starting right off the bat. Well, Andrew, thanks for having me, first of all. It's been an awesome, uh, awesome to be here. I apologize for those of you. I'm in New York. You might hear sirens in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, Very standard for those of us here. But no, the, the, you know what? The biggest and coolest thing I've done, uh, we, it was back when we started Tap Commerce, which is maybe more than 10 years ago at this point. Uh, my background is in tech and AI, like you heard. And we built one of the world's first mobile advertising platforms. And at our peak, we were handling about a million ad requests a second. Uh, I built a lot of the AI that was using uh, data science to figure out how to price these ads as well as how to respond to them at such a large scale. So that was really cool, kind of the highlight of my tech career. We eventually sold that company to Twitter, so it all sort of worked out well. But that's probably the thing I'm really proud about in terms of something I was able to accomplish uh, in my career.
0: What does that mean, a million ad requests a second? <laughs>
1: oh, it means, it means we had a lot of uh, hardware. So essentially, you know, the world of advertising, you probably have had a, a few guests who've been in this world. It is crazy how complicated it is. When, when mobile phones first came out, Um, They started to be this, this ad ecosystem where publishers who created apps wanted to get paid by showing ads. And so there's this ecosystem now where those publishers can send an ad request to something like an exchange. The exchange then fans that request out to a bunch of advertiser representatives. The representatives then have to decide do they want to show an ad on this product. This happens, you know, this was happening millions of times a second. And you have to be able to respond in less than 100 milliseconds, which is like how fast you blink your eyes, probably faster. And so it means that we had built up a lot of software and a lot of infrastructure to be able to show an ad to the right person at the right time uh, for the right price.
0: Oh, that is so cool. And you end up selling that company to Twitter. Um, Was was that bittersweet or were you like uh, Victoria's Secret when they sold their company? Like, geez, <laughs> I could have taken this to the moon. Why'd they have to buy me out like that?
1: <laughs> you know, from a, from a techie's perspective, it was kind of cool. It was an opportunity for us to see how a larger company was doing ads at the time. So we got to work on Twitter's ad platform. From the perspective of, you know, I'm a startup guy at heart. So from the perspective of going from something small to something much, much larger, I I realized that the larger thing wasn't for me, which is why I went back to the startup world. But it was one of those things where we worked. That was one of the hardest times I've worked, man. We were working long hours, 14, 15-hour days. And when you're dealing with a million ad requests, a lot of your stuff crashes a lot. And so we had to fix stuff in the middle of the night. I would sometimes get get a buzzer at 3 a.m. and I'd have to wake up and start stuff over again. And so for me, it was a nice respite, good transition. But now I'm sort of back at it in the world of startups.
0: Oh, that, That's so cool. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about uh, ChatGPT and AI with you today. So tell us more about this um, overnight success. I mean, ChatGPT had, what, what was it, like 100 million users in a month or something? And yeah. the next closest competitor was 100 million users in two years. Um, so what led us to the evolution of how ChatGPT became so popular in, in the first place?
1: You know, I don't know um, if you guys experienced this, but the first time I tried ChatGPT, it was like an aha moment because I'm a software guy and a lot of my time is spent looking up stuff online or trying to fix really nuanced bugs. It can take a lot of time. And the first time I tried uh, ChatGPT to fix this software, it got me the right answer within a couple of seconds. And so I think that's emblematic of why this thing has blown up. You know, you're suddenly getting huge amounts of value. You're saving lots of time and you're getting a lot of actually really good information at your fingertips in seconds, whereas it might have taken even four or five hours to find a piece of information before, certainly the case in software development. And so, you know, they say that every overnight success is 10 years in the making, right? So GPT 3.5, which came out earlier this year, was following three, that followed two. And they've actually been working on this stuff for a long time, lots of years. But uh, 3.5 was so good that I think it just got a lot of people really excited and really interested. And it just sort of the hype blew up. And it, it, it was really cool to see and cool to be part of. At least it's interesting for me to be part of that process now. Oh,
0: that's so cool. And how did you get involved in the space? And obviously, you know, you have a lot of experience in tech and e-commerce and all these uh, language mo- learning models. Um, but yeah. how, did you, how were you able to dive in and say, oh, I'm a consultant for this because I know exactly how to use it?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is um, I started using it and then I found that it didn't do a few things that I wanted. I Like, for example... I couldn't just ask it, hey, how many leads do I have in Salesforce or how many what's in my product documentation which lives on Google Drive, give me the contents of page thirty three. So like what I started seeing was a lot of business owners wanted to use this, but they couldn't because a lot of their docs were behind firewall or you needed to log in and by default ChatGPT doesn't have access to these things. And so it was kind of cool for me because my background is in AI and software and data. So I was able to build the pipes that connected your Google Drive or your Salesforce account to ChatGPT, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. Now, can I do this for my, you know, Google Sheets? And can I do this for my email? And and can you add this for my Slack workspace as a chatbot?" And so, a lot of folks were just starting to get interested in what became possible by connecting their data to ChatGPT. And because I had, I have a lot of experience building those sorts of data tools, I was able to jump in uh, and hopefully to l- deliver something that they appreciate.
0: I love that. That's the best way to uh, yeah get good at things is to see where the gaps are and go. Well, I can fix that. I know how to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I know how to uh, adjust for that. Um, so so let's talk more about. Uh, so y- your journey with ChatGPT is uh, you're like, oh, this is so cool. It can do something in seconds, which I've been in a career would usually take hours. Um, yeah. It's still missing things. I can figure out how to close those gaps. Um, so so tell us more about uh, what, what do you wish you knew. Earlier, when you're just starting off with uh, using ChatGPT in the first place,
1: you know it's funny that they're asking that because we're still so early in the world of ChatGPT. But six months almost feels like ten years, right? From a few, like things move so quickly that now a short amount of time feels like it was the result of a very lar- large amount of time. So for me, what do I wish I knew earlier this year? I think that there's uh, there's still a lot of There's still a lot of things that I struggle with when it comes to implementing ChatGPT on my own data. For example, one of the biggest limitations right now is that you can only send in a few thousand words every time you want to get an answer. And you also, whenever you ask an answer, you also need to provide the right context for ChatGPT to answer you using your data. I thought
0: uh, with with the ChatGPT4 update, um, I was told you could upload like a book the size of the Lord of the Rings. Or is is that not come come through yet?
1: (laughs) That's what they say, man. But it's 32,000 tokens, which equates to about 8,000 words, which is maybe 20 or 30 pages, maybe 40 pages. But, you know, essentially you're really limited, right? So this would be awesome if I could. If I could just take all 1,000 pages of my product handbook and dump it into ChatGPT and ask a question about something that lives on page 534, we're good. But uh, but you can't. And that's a lot of the things that businesses are running into now. So, you know, I wish I had known that before, but in a certain sense, it's, it's also provided me with an opportunity to build the software that lets people find the right uh, pieces of their data that I can send to ChatGPT so that they can actually ask a question. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is, hey, ChatGPT, if you use it through the API, they don't let you send a lot of information. They don't let you send a lot of requests. You kind of get what's called rate limited or timed out a lot, which means you have to sort of take your time when you send them stuff and it makes your product, my product, a little bit slower for users. Still usable by by far, but still one of those things I wish I had known earlier. And there's all sorts of things like this. Now, I'm nitpicking, right? This is such a cool technology, it's all interesting. These are really minor things that I'm sure OpenAI is gonna fix. Um, But the point is, if you're trying to build on top of ChatGPT or you're trying to use it for things like connecting your own data, you have to be ready for a lot of these challenges. and if you're not, maybe it's better to use a third-party tool.
0: No, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's just being aware of what it can and can't do—it's definitely definitely good to know. And I know you brand yourself as a ChatGPT consultant and LLM consultant. But how much have you played around with uh, Bard and Claude and Llama yeah. and, and all those? I'm curious your your quick thoughts on all those.
1: I like Llama; it's super fast. I love Claude. You know, Claude is one of those things. For those of you who don't know, it's from this company called Anthropic, competitor to ChatGPT. Claude actually lets you put in something like seventy five thousand tokens, which is uh, two to three times what you know what ChatGPT four lets you do. Uh, For what it's worth, I use ChatGPT three point five with the sixteen thousand token limit because it's much cheaper. (laughs) But I digress. Claude's awesome. The reason it's awesome is because because you can put in a lot more uh, uh, information, and it's super fast. You can get sort of a lot of long form content from it a little bit more quickly and a little bit more accurately. These LLMs still aren't great for long-form content. They're still a little bit robotic and generic, but Cloud does a really good job of providing you with, like, blogs or articles or newsletters. You'll still have to edit them, but it's a good start. Llama is really fast. Llama is the open-source tool from Facebook. Um, Really good. Bard I've used a little bit. I didn't... Bard sort of got a little wonky for me when I tried it, but this was about a month or two ago, so I'm sure it's gotten a lot better now. shows you how fast things are going. But I think the whole ecosystem, the fact that there are so many of these... Providers is awesome, particularly for companies that are in regulated fields like medicine, because they're going to need to build their own open source versions of this, or at least implement them because they can't send data outside their systems. So it's a long way of me saying I think these these tools are all really cool.
0: What I got out of that is it sounds like if you have a lot of um, words and like product information you have to um, pull from or summarize or stuff like that, clause the way to go because you can upload a lot more tokens, get more information. It sounds like ChatGPT, though, they're still top for, like, creativity, writing, and, and like, uh, being able to, like, uh, match your writing style, per se. And it sounds like LLAMA is kind of a mixture of those. Is that kind of a third-grade summary of things?
1: <laughs> it's, it's a good, like, yeah, it's a good high-level approach. You know, obviously, there are nuances, details with everything. For, so, for example, a lot of people don't think Plot is as good with software development. So I, I, I probably would fall in that camp. I still use ChatGPT for a lot of my coding. I use Claude for a lot of my long-form content. Uh, Llama, I use every now and then, mostly for the novelty. Bard, I don't use as much, unfortunately, but I'm sure I will, as Google makes it better. And so it's one of those things where you sort of get used to doing different things with different tools, and you're probably going to stick with that until and unless another tool comes out that's just a lot better. One thing to keep in mind, though, is even Claude, which can take a lot more content, is still limited, and it's still limited to maybe... 75,000 tokens, which is about, I don't know, 20,000 words or so, give or take 15,000. So you're still not going to be able to dump a whole lot of information into it. Um, and so that's one of the biggest issues with business today is if you've got a lot of documentation, how can you make sure that you can answer questions from that documentation, given these what's called context windows or token limits?
0: Interesting. And, and, you, and you keep saying uh, tokens, you know, why does it have to be yeah. tokens versus just like words or, or characters, essentially?
1: Yeah, it's uh, I apologize when you're sort of in this field you start using the jargon. <laughs> these tools, these companies like OpenAI and Google and Anthropic, they've they've introduced this concept of a token, which is kind of like a couple of letters or a part of a word or an individual character like maybe a semicolon. Now the reason they use tokens instead of whole words is because the AI that runs this stuff basically processes the text that you get in small chunks and what they they call these things, tokens. And when you have a token, it's actually a lot easier to turn those tokens into some sort of numerical representation that computers are better at dealing with than if you had a whole word. So you might hear the word token in general, uh, one token. uh, They say four tokens is maybe a word, I'm sorry, they say four characters is about one token. And so that's how you can start to think about this stuff.
0: Interesting, okay, that's good to know um so let's talk about uh you know i know a lot of people are still you know even though with 100 million and counting and maybe it's at 200 million by now of users of ai there's still a lot of talk in the industry it's like i don't know if i can use ai it sounds too complicated for me what are all the ethical implications with it um so what do you tell people to help comfort them about being okay with using ai and leveraging it
1: you know the first thing i tell them is if you don't do it somebody else will so (laughs) you know you're You're probably, I mean, unless you're close to retired or you don't care anymore, then it's fine, right? Who cares? But if you're really, you know, gung-ho and you're you're very career-oriented, like like those of us in New York tend to be, you probably want to get the best tools for your job. And AI is probably going to be in that toolkit at some point if it's not already. So I would generally say I understand that there's some sort of hesitancy to using it, but also you can just go and start using it right away. And it's very easy, and it actually is very simple to use. And so that's how I started. Uh, I just went over to ChatGPT's website. They give you a few credits you know, for free to get started, and I just started asking it a few questions. And, and once when I had a coding issue, I asked it, hey, how do I solve this? And it, it came back with the right answer. Uh, and then I started using this tool called Copilot, which is AI for code. And so like, you can start really simply. You don't need to dive all in. The folks who make these tools make it really easy to get started. And you're only doing yourself a disservice if you don't know what they are. And so it's it really behooves you to kind of get familiar with these tools. Now, maybe you say, hey, look, I tried it. has no bearing on my work. It doesn't make any sense for me. There are folks like that. That's fine. At least you've tried it. I would, I would argue that's probably not the case for most people. But sure, if that's your opinion, sure. But you got to at least try it because it's easy. It's free. It takes two seconds, and it probably would change your life at some point.
0: Yeah, and I love uh, the analogy of... Um you know, sometimes, you know, AI only puts out what you put into it, essentially. And so if, if you, like, tell it, uh, you know, make me a million dollars, you know, it's probably going to be like, uh, what? But it, obviously you have to keep it. Uh, I think some person said it's kind of like a, a toddler, like, hey, can you uh, yeah. go collect this book from this bookshelf and bring this summarize information? Or can you solve this little problem for me? It'd be like, okay, yeah, I got you kind of thing. Um, and I was following a tweet too about uh, like the Hustle GPT guy. Did you hear about <laughs> that at all? No, I haven't. Um, so he basically was doing. He started a Twitter trend. He's like, okay, I'm going to see if Chat GPT can help me make a million dollars. So I'm going to name it uh, yeah. Hustle GPT, and it's going to tell me what to do every day for thirty days straight um and he essentially made all of his money off people joining his community <laughs> 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 um, and so technically yeah, he, he was getting closer and closer um but wow. but just yeah it's, it's a reminder too that like you know it, it can only put out what we put into it and so just like constantly having someone like Shaneef to help you like tweak it and make sure you get the best out of it uh, i'm sure is definitely essential um and, and so speaking of that uh yeah, can you tell us some more examples so let's say you're, you're a business owner and you're like all right, how can I be better at marketing my business? And I, I sell, um, let's just say you, you sell voice um, coaching lessons, essentially. H- how would you use a chat GPT to build your voice um, voice coaching business?
1: You know, this is, it's a really interesting question because a lot of businesses want to use this tool, but they don't know how. And I almost always recommend them to start with a small problem that they have. So take a look at what you do on a, on a day-to-day basis. And if there's something that has just taken up a little bit of time, 20, 30 minutes at a time, but you have to do it a lot, and maybe you might be able to automate it, but you probably have to do it yourself because it requires a little bit of thought, that's a really good opportunity to use ChatGPT. Now, maybe that's not necessarily growing or marketing your business. Maybe that's operations. But I bet you if you find something that you're doing a lot that's taking up a little bit of time, like a good amount of time, and it's not really necessary, it's a bit frustrating, you probably could automate that away using something like ChatGPT. Now, if you really wanted to start creating new revenue generating opportunities, there's a few ways you could apply this. Like, say, Let's just break it down, sales, marketing, and product. On the sales side, you've got folks today who are using ChatGPT to help you write emails. A lot of times those can be personalized emails, like you can copy and paste somebody's LinkedIn profile and say, hey, ChatGPT, like, you know, create a personalized email for this. A lot of times you can start doing personalization at scale. There's a few tools out there right now that let you scrape someone's LinkedIn and then write an email and do this several hundred or a thousand times a day. Um,
0: what tools are those? That sounds pretty valuable.
1: <laughs> there's, I think there's one I started looking at called reply.io, if I remember correctly. Uh, I haven't used this myself. However, it's something, yeah, it's something that I want to use at some point soon, drive your revenue growth with AI. So reply.io will let you automatically personalize things at scale as far as I know. There's a few other tools out there um, that let you do something like this similar. I have no affiliation with Buy.io. I just saw them yeah. one day. Um, and then on the mark, uh, let's see, on- another way that sales folks at least are starting to use my stuff is a lot of times they'll get these really obscure questions from their customers on a call. For example, like one of my customers does financial retirement planning for government employees, and the government has all sorts of crazy policies. So like a customer of theirs might say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a spouse of a surviving military you know, benefits receiver. I, mean, I just hit 70 years old. Can I start borrowing from my federal retirement account next month? Like, like what? And so these guys are on a call. They get a, cu- a question like this from their customer. What they were doing before was they would have to message their team internally to look this stuff up and then tell the customer, hey, I'll get back to you. Now, because they have a tool like mine that can connect their internal policy documents to a chatbot, they can just ask the chatbot, and they'll get an answer back in a, in a few seconds and they can tell the customer the answer right away. And so sales guys are now using tools like this on their calls to answer customer questions. They're using it to transcribe their calls and get a sense for what messages work and what don't. So again, it, you talk about, Hey, how does ChatGPT grow my business? I like to say it's really ChatGPT and other tools like this are really good at tasks, but they suck at jobs. So if you give them a <laughs> job, like you said, tell a toddler to go get my book from the shelf and tell me what's on page three. It's going to be great. But if you say, like you said, Hey, how do I make me a million dollars? It's not going to come back and tell you what to do. Or maybe it is if you're this one guy, but if you're anyone else, it's not going to tell you anything. So you as the business owner need to know what your job is. What are your tasks in that job? Where can you start to automate some of this stuff away? And how can you use automation right now to start growing in those areas? Uh, it's a long way of answering your question.
0: No, it, it, it's great because you, you mentioned, uh, well, how, how does operations grow your business? I mean, I would say, well, if you're able to automate your operations, that gives you more time for marketing, more time for fulfillment, more time for sales, um, and be able to keep um, outsourcing time to other things that still, because it still takes time to grow your business. If you're a solopreneur, a small business, you got to wear many hats where it's always better to outsource and delegate those other hats. Um and so my next question was uh, asking, can, can you give more uh, specific examples of like what absolutely like if you're still doing this by by hand or by yourself, like you're you're, you're stupid and crazy. like <laughs> what absolutely <laughs> should be automated using AI when, when growing your business?
1: That's You know what? I will, I'm will i I'm a bit biased, but I've been using um, ChatGPT for coding for the past four months, and I, I swear it saved me at least 20, 20 hours a week just because it's, wow. it's so good when it comes to code. Code is a really good example because it's text, and it's logical and structured, and so I certainly save a lot of time. I also use it now for outlining a lot of my articles. Uh, I don't use it for generating content, but I do ge- use it for generating the outlines or giving me ideas about what to write about. The reason I don't, and I know this isn't really what you asked, but the reason I don't use it right now is because it still sounds robotic and it still sounds a bit too polished without saying anything. It says a lot without saying much, but it can do a good job of providing ideas. But as far as what you should be using it for, coding, I mean, if there's a software developer out there who's not using ChatGPT today, I would say you got to start. Um, it's really good for idea generation. So, hey, i this is my business. Here's a paragraph of context on my business. P- please provide me. 20 ideas for what I should be writing about in terms of uh, content. That's really good for that long form outlines. It's pretty good with that. Now what's interesting is you asked me, Hey, what should I, what do I need to be using it for? And I really said, Hey, coding. And then outside of that, not much. And that sort of falls back on like, this is a really good tool, but it's not a good jobs doer. And so it depends on what your job is. You probably have something that you could use AI for, but there's nothing that you have to use it for. It's just if you use it, it will make you way more productive and way more efficient and probably save a lot of your own mental effort and energy. And so it really just depends on your job.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And, uh, and especially because you know we, we think that uh, we have to be in the perfect mood or the perfect uh, room to, be able to come up with new ideas for what to write about or to talk about, who to talk to, how to talk to them. Um, when AI can just put you eighty percent of the way there, you can be like, "Oh, I know how to fill in the gaps. Like, I could definitely customize it for myself." So, uh, that's a really good point you brought up. Um, and then, uh, I'm curious too. I know you mostly work with uh, bigger businesses, but are there any other solopreneurs or small businesses where you where you went in and as a case study, you're like, "Here's what I helped them with," and here's what also saved them time with outside of outside of coding and uh, content yeah. generation
1: yeah, I think small businesses, what's interesting is small businesses have been more quick to adopt this than large businesses because they don't have as many uh, lawyers. They don't have as many risk and, and regulatory issues, and they're really they're really hungry. So, for example, one of my first customers, uh, same company I talked about earlier, government retirement planning, a company called parko uh dot check them out. They're awesome. What they do, they're a small team, eight or nine people at most. And what they do is they meet one-on-one with every individual government employee that they meet with. And um, they've been able to use my tool in conjunction with ChatGPT to reduce research time. I think they said that because they've got a tool like this now, they don't need to hire as many people. And that's because when you've got a tool that plugs into your initial research documents and can also research outside of uh, your industry, Using search engines and ChatGPT, you're suddenly cutting down the amount of time that it takes to get something done. So that's one example of a small business. Um, another example is a small company I work with down in Rust, Virginia. Uh, they help companies get free money from grants. Grantexec.com. Go check them out. And what they do is they help you apply for grants, and they're using my tool, which is plugged into their database, to find the best grants, uh, grant opportunities for every company that applies to them. So what we do is we take your company profile. We we use ChatGPT and my tool to match it to the top 20 or 30 grants that are in their database of thousands. And then you can find the best grants to apply for. So small companies absolutely can use this stuff. Even what I said earlier, if you're a small business owner and you're just doing marketing or sales, you can use ChatGPT without tools like mine to just generate the content you need. Uh, So while I suspect big businesses will get a lot of efficiency, small businesses today are the ones who are making the most uh, progress on this stuff and really using it to its max. And it kind of makes sense because if you're a small business, you have fewer resources, you have fewer people, the more you can automate, the, the better and faster you'll go.
0: Well, that makes sense. I love that. And, uh, and real quick, so, so tell us more about Lucusive and how you can use it with ChatGPT or without ChatGPT and how that helps companies. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, the core problem that we're trying to solve is when you use ChatGPT, it's awesome for answering things like, hey, who wrote this book that was, who wrote Frankenstein? It sucks at saying how many leads do I have in Salesforce or go look at my product documentation and tell me how I'm different than this customer. So what Locusim does is we build the data pipelines and the the software to connect your data with ChatGPT. So you can use this to build your own chatbots or you can use our chatbot and you can connect these bots to your existing tools like Salesforce or Google Drive or uh, Google Sheets or your email, whatever it is. We'll get all this information. We'll read it into our system and then you can start asking questions of it. So you don't have to go to your Gmail account and search for that email 30 days ago. You don't have to go to your Google Sheets and say, hey, what row number out of this thousand row spreadsheet do I need to look at? You just ask our bots or you use our API to build your own bots. And so we provide those infrastructure tooling layers uh, and the application layers for businesses to use large language models with their own data.
0: That, that's fascinating. So because so obviously, so Google Drive currently has its own search box. Um, and so you're saying... Um, and, and obviously it's it just by keywords, but if you're looking for a specific keyword from a specific document, rather than looking at the keyword, um, you know, jolly or something, it'll say, well, it's, it's, here's a 10 pages on, uh, uh, with, with, with the word jolly on it, you're like, I need to find a jolly from November 1st, uh, 2018 or something like that. And it could like do something like that.
1: You know, even, even more to the point, you can say, uh, let's take a, an example I face in a, re- in a real world. What is the maximum tax rate for uh, retirees this year, right? That information is somewhere in your PDFs, hundreds of PDFs and Google Sheets. All you need to do is ask that specific question and the bot will come back with the answer and link you to the sheet. So it's not even you're searching for a document now, you're just searching for the thing you need in that moment and the bot will get you that information. You can still do what you wanted, me the keyword for jolly you know on this page on this day but ultimately what i found is business owners have a ton of these things that they need to look up every day and they just want the answer right away and so that's what the bot is designed to do
0: now that's so cool i could definitely see that saving a lot of time so that's awesome um let's talk more about what's going to be most affected and least affected by ai um i know a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm scared of losing my jobs. We yeah. have to rebel against AI now. And some people are like, oh, I mean, if you're in, if you're in sales, if you're in this, like AI is not going to affect you kind of thing. And uh, yeah. I tell people, I mean, the ice business used to be employ 60,000 people, but I think it's okay that people have freezers now. And obviously I'm sure the horse business was great before cars came out and all that. Um, but based on your knowledge and experience, what, it, what do you believe is most affected yeah. and least affected by AI?
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting time right now i've heard this as well now i'm actually um optimistic because a lot of folks that i've talked to are more in the camp of hey i'm really excited to use this versus hey i'm worried about losing my job so as far as what i what i think is going to happen and i've started to see this a little bit i think ai is going to be able to automate a lot of the things that junior employees have been doing thus far so junior software engineers junior legal uh, professionals accountants i think that it's gotten really good um but it's still at a point where it doesn't do a lot of the things that a senior level employee would do. So while I am really optimistic, I think that what we might start to see is that companies start hiring fewer junior level employees and they give their senior level employees access to these AI tools and expect them to do more. I don't know if that's the case, because you could also make the argument that with these AI tools, you can you can have a junior level employee who costs a lot less, do a lot more. So. I do suspect we're gonna to start to see a redistribution of seniority in companies. And that goes for a lot of industries, right? You mentioned a couple of industries, ice and cars and, and horses. I think this is gonna affect a lot of industries. Any sort of thing that's white collar that requires information knowledge is going to be affected by AI. Um, there are things though that are ultimately going to remain human, like you sell, you buy as a human and you sell to humans. And so you're going to need people who are able to connect with humans. I think that a lot of folks have said, well, writing and copywriting is going to be affected. I might actually disagree because the writing that's coming out of these LLMs right now is not good. It's, it's pretty crappy. And so humans are able to do a lot better of a job when they when it comes to writing impactful things that are trying to connect with humans. Teaching, I think, might be affected in a certain way, but I also think that teachers are going to be more empowered to use AI. So I think what I'm trying to say is every industry is going to be impacted, but I suspect what's going to happen is some jobs might be cut, but a lot of other jobs are going to benefit from the ability to use AI. And it's one of those things where it becomes a really good tool for those people who are working in any industry.
0: Yeah, that that is interesting. And uh, for those listening in, we we are talking. Uh, it's uh, August twenty twenty three, and the writer strikes are going on right now. And uh, I think most of the writers are pissed off that studio executives can uh, can think, "Oh, I can just uh, have ChatGPT write my movies for me and write my books and, and scripts and stuff." Um, and so writers are are worried about that. Um, I know it's tricky too, because it's curious because the writers can use the chat GPT how they want to as well. And of course, all comes down to how good you are at prompting, and, like you said, filling in the gaps. Um, And I think it's definitely, you know, curious and scary, the fact that we're still in beginning stages. And as we know, AI and technology is going to keep getting better and better. But it sounds like you're still confident that we're still a few years, um, maybe even a decade out from having competent writing skills from AI machines.
1: Oh, one thing I've, I've learned to do is not forecast too far in the future. <laughs> I, used to, I used to use AI to predict stocks and I quickly got humbled by doing that.
0: Um, <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Some, yeah, It
1: works not bad. Uh, it works until it doesn't is yeah. sort of what I learned. So I can tell you sort of what I'm seeing right now is that long form content is not good from these AI tools. And it's it's just not good. Now, how far away are we from being able to have really high quality scripts or plays or whatever it is? You know I don't know I don't know I think it might be a few years out but things are moving so quickly it could be a lot less um, I wouldn't I think it will happen at some point but I also know the way that these things work under the hood and I know that they're not really optimized for a lot of this stuff for for like long form creative content is very difficult to do especially with context windows that are just a few thousand words or tokens so it's, it's a it's a way of me hemming and hawing but I don't I don't think it's going to come anytime soon. And that's where I'll leave it.
0: No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. Like obviously if you need it to generate a headline or a paragraph or some like hooks to something like it's good at that, but it, it makes sense. Like technology wise, it would take a lot <laughs> of work and data to process, putting together a novel that could be a bestseller because it, it like you said, it, it, it makes sense. Technology wise, it's very far out. Essentially. Is that, is that essentially what you're saying?
1: I think so. There, there are ways to get around this right now that some people are trying. I just talked to somebody whose who's brother is writing a play using ChatGPT okay. in Spanish. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Now, I was thinking, like, how is he doing this? I think what you have to do is every time you start a new chapter or a new, I don't know how plays are structured, you have to summarize the old play so that it doesn't get overloaded and then you have to provide a script or an outline for what you want it to do next. So maybe there are ways to get around this, but even then I can't imagine the content to be that great seeing what i've seen today but so yeah it's i think the technology is still a little bit has a ways to go a little bit
0: well and and i like that too just like going back to like why you should leverage chat is like what would take you know five years to write a play now you can do it in one uh hopefully and then being able to put out 10 plays in 10 years they're still top quality versus uh trying to figure out every single detail all the time essentially um so that sounds like that's what you're is this your the first play that uh you're colleague is put together with chat you know
1: this is someone i talked to i just got married a, a couple months ago and this oh, was congrats. our photographer's brother thank you guys, <laughs> I that. so our photographer's <laughs> brother in mexico was writing a play now i have no idea how that's going um, but i do i do agree with you, what you said andrew where you can use this in ways to make yourself way more efficient and i think that's that's the thing i'm harping on is like how do you build business tools to do this the one thing we haven't really mentioned yet is these tools are actually really good at making intelligent, automated, logical trains of thought, which is something machines have never been able to do before. You can have a machine take in a bunch of information, give it a question, and it'll reason through to get a right answer. And that allows us, that opens up a world of possibilities when it comes to better automated software. So I think that you can start to become way more efficient by having it do your thinking for you, in addition to doing your content
0: generation. No, I love that. No, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, yeah. So you kept bringing up the word tools. Let's talk about your tools arsenal. I know people love love hearing the tool stack and and what you use. So uh, give us a uh, rundown of how you're making your life easier with the various tools you're using. That's
1: that's interesting. Um, I use it's funny. I'm a guy who's starting a business, so I'm doing everything from sales to marketing to sending letters to filing legal docs. So the main tool I use, at least when I'm coding, is this. Tool called uh, uh, IntelliJ, it's a company that it's from this company, Jeff Reince. I don't know how many of your listeners are coders, so I don't want to bore them. But there is a, a cool tool that plugs into it called Copilot, which is AI-generated code. Pretty useful. I also use ChatGPT quite a bit. So like, if I have a, a, a bug in my code, I'll go fix. I'll go tell ChatGPT to fix it. That saves me at least 10 minutes or 20 minutes every time there's a bug, because I don't have to think about it. As far as everything else, I'm using Notion quite a bit. You probably heard a lot of people tap the benefits of Notion. I run the whole company off of it. It's our internal wiki. And I'm building a Notion integration for my company for Locusive so that I don't have to keep searching through Notion, which is kind of fun. Um, Google Workspace, I use quite a bit. Slack, I use a lot. I mean, we built our, our first bot on, on Slack as a chat bot, so I use it quite a bit. Webflow is great for people who need to create websites. Very easy to create websites. Um, HubSpot, I've started to use a little bit. There's probably like... a stack of 10 or 15 tools I don't want to bore people that most startups are using today and I'm probably using about 80 to 90 percent of those tools
0: have you heard of uh gamma app yet that creates websites for you
1: I have not no I've love it yeah it's, I'll have
0: to check uh, it out. it's gamma.app and uh, it, it's a, a text to website tool which uh, uh-huh. is kind of unique together um, But I, I think there's still, and I always haven't, haven't mastered it yet. But it, it is cool, and I also like to use it for uh, presentations too, where you can literally say, "Make me a presentation about um, pitching awesome. my coding company to uh, Microsoft or something like that," and uh, it'll be able to put together all the slides, all the text, all the images for you. Um, so uh, yeah, I haven't played with uh, Webflow yet, but that, that sounds cool too. Um, cool. Let's hear about your mentors and inspirations that you're learning from, and How'd you come across them?
1: I think very sort of uh, randomly but fortuitously. So like every if you th- if you ever hear someone say, Hey, I did this on my own, they're lying. Like no man is nobody's is <laughs> an island, right? So I think you get yeah. people across your career who are helping you out in a in a given time, a season, or through your career. I remember when I first started, there was this guy I, I really looked up to, his name was Dan Usher, when I worked at Booz and he was really, really, really good when it came to infrastructure. So, you know, I, I leaned on him quite a bit. He had already been working at the company. He took a, hopefully, a liking to me. And so that was sort of my, one of my first mentors. And then, you know, as I started working on Tap Commerce, which was that startup, um, the founders that I joined up with were really, really, really smart. So Brian Long, fantastic sales guy. Andrew Jones, best, AJ is like one of the best product guys I've ever worked with. And it just so happened that I had the fortune of, good fortune of working with them. And I learned a lot. And so, for me, it's one of those things where I've always tried to push myself to like try to get into the next thing that is just just out of reach. And when you do that, you find people who are already at that level who can sort of, if you if they take a liking to you or if you work hard enough, they will work with you to get better. And so, for me, it's always one of those things where I'm always pushing myself, which allows me to get access to people who are uh, really good at what they do and who I can start to learn from. So, from my perspective, it's one of those things where when you Work yourself hard enough, you will eventually come across people who will help you work harder.
0: Well, I love that, and 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 uh, for those uh, listening in too, what would you tell them when it comes to finding a mentor or finding uh, um, that that community of people who can help support you and lift you up? Like, how would you how would you go about that?
1: First of all, I think you have to know yourself. You know, you have to know. Hey, look, this is what I care about. This is what drives me. And it sounds so easy, but <laughs> it's funny because that's actually the blocker for a lot of people particularly in their 20s, you don't really know what you want to do. But let's say you know what you want to do. Let's say you're maybe like me, you're a software developer who's always wanted to get into the startup world. You can easily find folks like that. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can find them in local meetups. You can find them online. You can find them on other lots of areas. And so it's it's likely they're not going to be in your network. So you're probably going to have to do a little bit of, of searching and saying, well, what sort of companies do I really admire? What sort of founders do I really care about? Do I know anybody in my network who might be connected to startup life, VCs or investors? And you kind of have to make a short list of folks who you want to get connected with and then reach out to them and see how you can help. Uh, One of the things I've learned in my life is the more you add value without expecting anything in return, the faster you're going to find people who are really good and can help you advance your career. So let's say you find somebody, let's say a startup founder, go offer to run their social media or go offer to build them a free POC or go offer to do something that you're good at for free and say, Hey, look, I just wanted to get connected. I wanted to be in your network and I wanted to sort of show you what I could do. Um, but the, the key is identify what you care about. Don't be afraid to reach out and then offer value, offer value indefinitely and with an unlimited amount of gusto and, and you'll get a lot of good things come back to you.
0: I I love that. And I I love, and I, one of the things I've learned uh, over the years too is like when you ask people, you know, what can I help with? What do you need help with? Like they don't always want to put the decision power to that. They're like, oh, I don't know. I'm good, blah, blah. But if you say, hey, you know, I noticed that your social media hasn't gotten any posts in the last two months. Um, Let me create your next 10 posts for you and send them over to you. Mm -hmm. Um, People are more likely to say yes to that and and agreeing to help that. And so, I like what you said too, about like helping people with something specific rather than just like messaging people and say, what can I help with (laughs) kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Because it shows you're authentic and you care, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's really easy to say, Hey, what do you need help with? Then the person who you're asking has to think and they have to put mental effort into it. It's like kind of unfair. But if you say, Hey, I'm really good at this. Can I do this for you? Then way easier for both of you.
0: Oh, I love that. Um let's talk about uh imposter syndrome and AI. Yeah. So I, I know you mentioned that uh, you know doing code saves you 20 hours a week. Um but do you ever um present anything to any of your clients um using AI and be like, "Oh, is it, am I really this good or is it just AI making me look good?" Uh, I'm curious if you could talk about this a little bit.
1: Yeah, dude, it's it's funny cuz like AI is fascinating to me. The fact that you can take a bunch of data and predict, for example, who's going to churn or who's going to buy this product or what's the next best word to spit out in a sequence of words just kind of blows my mind. So there's almost always a sense of imposter syndrome, like, oh, man, I hope this works this time. Of course, it's going to work this time because you've tested it a hundred times. Like every time I demo my bot for Slack and I say, well, you know, let's look, let's ask a question about this piece of information in this this sheet or this document, like thinking, man, I hope this works this time. So every time I do this, I'm like, Uh, there's a a certain sense of fascination that it will work reliably. And then there's a certain sense of, I really hope I'm not coming across as a fake. I really hope I'm being sort of genuine because I care about that. I'm maintaining my integrity. Because if you're trying to sell, I'm not the type of person who can sell anything, sell ice to an Eskimo. I'm like, this is what I've got. I hope that this fits your needs. (laughs) Hopefully it does. Um, So maybe other folks won't have problems with that. But every time I sort of demo what I'm doing and I talk about what I'm doing, it is one of those things where it's like, a little bit too much hesitation, and that's something I'm trying to work at, but it's a long way of me. Ram- I don't want to ramble. It's like, yes, imposter syndrome is there. Um, even though I've been working in data science for 10 or 15 years, there's folks out there who are way, way, way more knowledgeable to me. You as a person just have to stop comparing yourself to those folks. You just have to say, this is what I could do. Here's what I've done. I, you know, Let's work together. I promise it'll be a good experience.
0: And uh, I like what you said too—that you have to remind yourself. Oh yeah, I have done this a hundred times. <laughs> I have—I yeah. do know a little bit what I'm what I'm talking about. Um, and my track record can show it. And like you said too, you know, it's always funny and scary too, taking on new endeavors, new projects, and and but uh, you just have to keep going with what you know, but also trust yourself to adapt accordingly. So um, I, I like the way you phrased that. And then uh, I know we have a few minutes left here, so I have a few questions to wrap up. What's the next uh, end game that you're working on
1: it's funny I started last year was the was uh, a year that I had to shut down a startup that I had been working five years on and at if you had asked me at that point hey do you want to do something else I'd be like no way man I am done and then like for most like most entrepreneurs I was like you know after a few months I, I said well I kind of have this idea I want to see if this works and I have this thing I want to work on I realized I'm still I still have the bug to build something big so locusive is my attempt at that. But I'm doing it very differently. I'm doing it very, very systematically now. So for me, the, the big thing I'm trying to do is turn Locusiv into a very, very large company. Uh, and I'm doing it in a way that is not hasn't been d- done very often before, which is sort of taking it slow, not taking on a lot of money until I really have something that works, moving very, very systematically. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do now.
0: What what does a a large company mean or look like? What's the what's the vision yeah, yeah. for how how far you see of going?
1: There, there's sort of the ideal, and but then there's like, okay, if that doesn't happen, what happens? So like the ideal is go public and you know make it at least a, a multi billion dollar revenue company. But that's something that maybe I will run out of steam. Maybe I won't want to do that. Maybe ten years go by and I'm at a point where I don't need that. For me, a large company is something that allows me to either draw you know quite a bit of money from it on a year year to year basis or sell it i don't know what that number is and i actually don't want to put a number on it you know whether that's a hundred million or a billion or even ten million or even one million i'll know it when i see it is the kind of thing that i've that i'm saying but that's sort of what i'm trying to do now is build something sustainable and high value and just enjoy the ride doing it but also trying to take it as far as I can.
0: Well, I, I love that. And that's, uh, that's definitely exciting, you know, bringing people on the show with such big visions and aspirations and wanting to build a billion dollar company. Um, and going into the, the mindset of things, when Twitter bought your company, could you have quote unquote retired if you, if you wanted to?
1: Yeah. You know, I probably don't need to be working now, but I am also the type of person. If I'm not working, I'm like, what am I doing? Like I've traveled a lot, which is great. I've done a lot. But there's a certain sense of joy and fulfillment I get from working and building. Specifically, I'm a builder. It just happens that I build with tech and tools and software. I get a lot of joy from building and I get a lot of joy from seeing people use the things I build. And so for me, it's one of those things where I just want to keep pushing myself and seeing how far I can go.
0: I love, but, but what uh, what helps you fuel that, that hunger to keep working and get that fulfillment? I mean, most people are like, oh, yeah, I'll take the money and keep on chilling. Like, What, what, what helps fuel you to stay motivated and keep going? You know, I bet you,
1: I, I, I wish my wife knew, I wish I knew, I wish like, you know, if she knew, she would have been like, okay, we can do this without you having to do it this way. Because so, I'm still working. I keep track of the time I spend now. I, I spent like 80 hours last week on this stuff. So I do some 13 or 14 hour days. So I don't know. I just know that that's who I am. And so I used to fight it and I used to deny it. And then I was like, well, let's just embrace it. So I kind of have a sense for why. I am the type of person who wants to keep pushing and keep getting better, and I find a lot of joy from being able to level up. It's like I played a lot of video games as a kid, Um, but that's just innate to who I am. And I kind of, I've got some ideas of why, but I try not to dive too deep into that at this point.
0: That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.